You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey there, it's Blasco, and this is a new level. Welcome to episode six. My guest today is Ash Avelson. Ash wears many hats and one of the most innovative entrepreneurs in the business. He is a former booking agent and the current founder and CEO of Sumerian Records and Films. Sumerian Records is the home of Jonathan Davis, Body Count, Animals as Leaders, Crosses, and Asking Alexandria, just to name a few. On the film side, he is a director, screenwriter, producer, and actor. He is also the founder and producer of the annual Summer Slaughter Tour, and this year will be its 12th year. He is a super awesome dude, a close friend and colleague, and I am super stoked that he took the time out of his day to chat with me today. So, Ash, thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Very hopeful we can uh, entertain some people here for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I, I'm thinking back to when we first met each other, and you were a booking agent, and I forget what band I was trying to convince you to book, but I think it might have been Mantis. And this was pre-TKO, so you were just you were just what was what was was Pantheon? Was that or EE booking? EE booking. And I think it might have been Burn in Silence. Maybe that was it. I think it was on they were on prosthetic and they were on the same label I was on. And I was excited. I was excited to be getting a call from you and to work with you. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this band really because Blasco's managing it. Yeah, that was a cool band, but you were you were more exciting to the equation than the actual band itself, just because it was a new relationship and who you are. So I was, you know, uh, eager to, to to work on something with you. Yeah, and and you know that was that was one of those things. Like you know, I feel like you know, look, if we had hours, we could dig into it. But I feel like that that band was a good example of things of like how, and you've seen it a million times, how these bands just get way too ahead of themselves and they're they're not willing to put in the work, you know? And you as the agent, me as the manager, right? You start to build it, you get them on the road, and then all of a sudden you start to get these calls of like, hey man, how come so-and-so got the Slayer tour and we didn't? <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone is so concerned and it's, and it's it's a toxic disease that's it's rampant specifically in the entertainment business, but I think it's everywhere and especially in band culture where everyone's looking over each other's shoulders, looking at what everyone else is doing instead of focusing on their own career, you know, and I, I'm a big believer that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, the, these, these bands that might get a big opportunity, that doesn't mean it's going to translate to something. It can be the same thing for an artist that has a huge song that ends up being a one hit wonder. It's like, okay, so-and-so got this massive tour, the biggest tour in the scene. But then what happened afterwards and they were, they weren't able to capitalize. So I just think it's a very bad thing when bands are constantly uh, comparing themselves to, to all they can, all you can really compare yourself to is what you were doing last week to this week. And as long as you you have forward momentum, then you should, you know, stay focused rather than, I don't know, whatever. I could talk about this shit for forever, but it's very <laughs> frustrating that that's, that's a, that's a reoccurring scenario with, with artists is that they always want to compare themselves 
to what someone else has going on instead of just worrying about making the best art that they can do. How did you get started in the music business? I assume that there's a story that predates EE booking. Yeah. So I, I was playing in a band uh, in high school. I went to college for one year at, at Georgia Tech and started trying to book us a show in Atlanta uh, while I was living there. And I got us a gig at a place called the Somber Reptile in Atlanta. I had my whole band from Virginia drive down. We all drove down in a Jeep Wagoneer. So we did a you know a 1,200 mile round trip to play to like 30 people, but it was all about just the excitement of actually playing at a real music venue. So we did that. And then over the summer, we got a gig at what was called Jack's at the time, which was like the hotspot rock club in Northern Virginia. Um, and I had just run out of money to pay for college. So I had to do out-of-state tuition, grants, loans, all this stuff. And I had to decide, okay, do I you know, play these shows with my best friends or do I go back to school and get in debt? Um, and I decided I'm going to take you know a, a year off of school and try and do the band thing. And then I just never went back. And so, so I started, so to answer the question, I was, I was playing shows locally and I was working, I got a job at a temping agency, which is a really fascinating gig because I would go to different office jobs and I would work at this place for three weeks and this place for two weeks and this place for two months and kind of got a taste of all these different types of corporate America jobs. The nice thing about the job was that I was always in these, these office environments where I could finish my work much sooner than what the day clocked in at. So I would, I would sit there and have, oh, I have a Xerox machine. I have fast internet. I have a printer. I have all this stuff and I would utilize that to promote my own band. So I did that and I started booking my own band and then we started getting other shows out of town. We started drawing people locally. And then because I was doing so good at booking shows for my own band, then other signed bands uh, came to me and said, hey, can you, you know, get us some, some more shows out of town? I think the first one was Dying Fetus and we did like the Carolinas and, a handful of, of places outside of DC, Maryland, Virginia. And then I got a call from a leveling creation to do like a two or three week tour. And then from there I started building up my booking agency roster, which is EE booking. And then simultaneously I was buying shows from agents to uh, put on in DC, Maryland, Virginia as a promoter. So I very quickly became from just being in a band, I was promoting local shows in the tri-state area and I was booking out of town shows for my band and a few other death metal bands. And then from there just started growing. You know, it's, it's cool because there's a consistent theme in this podcast that you can't trust anyone in the music business that didn't first start a band, you know, that wasn't in a band first. Like every everyone that I've interviewed has started fanzine and started their own bands long before they were ever in the business, right? So the theme is like, we can't trust anyone that didn't start a band first, you know? I haven't heard that, but I love that. I'm going to use that. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so so you, you, you start booking naturally because you're the guy that takes on the role of himself. Like, I'm in a band, but we need shows. So instead of me trying to rely on someone else. You're like, fuck it, man. I'm going to book our own shows. And then you did such a good job. You had bands coming to you and say, hey, book us too. So you build this roster of bands, right? You're developing stuff. Now, did was the transition into a record label, was that always something that was in your forethought or was that something that just transitioned naturally? Uh, into So when I transitioned into the record label, I had, so my band got signed to Prosthetic Records, um, but it was, it was through my time touring and building my band is when I really started to get kind of like a, um, a solid pulse for, I thought what was like the next wave and like heavy extreme music. And so 
through booking, I was already booking bands that were drawing a lot of people without record deals. And this was when MySpace was really exploding. So there were bands like The Faceless and Suicide Silence, Stick to Your Guns, uh, Job for a Cowboy. All these bands hadn't even had record deals yet, and they were already drawing all these people. So I, I would shop them around, and, and either the, the bigger labels either didn't really get the music, or if they did, they offered them kind of more like draconian record deals. And I was like, well, fuck it. It's harder to get a booking agent to actually get you in real tours than it even is to get record distribution. So why don't I just offer the bands that I'm already working with, like a 50-50 net split deal. We'll do one record. If it works out, great. We can continue working together. And if not, they can go wherever they want. So um, yeah, it was really my credibility as the singer of Reflux and my credibility as a booking agent that got these bands to, to you know, do a chance with me on starting a new label. And then from there, it kind of just took off because our first two signings became, you know, really successful uh, given the scenes they were in. The Faceless was like a progressive tech, you know, death metal band. And then um, Stick to Your Guns was like a melodic hardcore band, which were two very different sounds, but they were both underground music. Um, and so from there, yeah, we just, we could continue to grow. That's awesome. So, you know, you, I know you personally and, you know, I've shared office space with you. So I've seen, you know, I've seen you in action, right? And I know that you're a, a relatively, you know, young guy for as much as you've accomplished and continue to accomplish in the business, right? So this is going to be maybe a tough question for you, but in all the time, you know, even from back in the reflux days to currently, what would you consider your greatest achievement? My greatest achievement in the music business, I guess it would just be Sumerian Records uh, today as far as being able to build, help build all these careers for artists that were, you know, unknown bands to now having solid careers as well as being able to employ all the people that I do with health insurance and benefits and company cards. So I guess overall it would probably be the label itself and the whole ecosystem. If there was one defining moment I mean, it would, it would probably be like American Satan coming out in real movie theaters on a real distributor and having all these different Sumerian artists and other artists that I work with as a booking agent, which obviously Andy Beersack, having that all become something that's just bigger than what we had all been doing, which was, you know, just going on tour and selling records and t-shirts and stuff. So I think that would probably be as, a, as far as like a defining moment, I think it was like, yeah, like opening night at, at Universal Studios, they're playing progressive rockish metal. The, the song Let Em Burn was playing on the big screen and all these people that were just there to go to Universal Studios were like, what the hell is this? There's a movie called American Satan. It's like, there's like this crazy rock metal music being played and all these people. So that, that was probably, I think, just because I look at it as like moving the entire wave that we're all on with these younger bands, like into more and more, uh, bigger territory. If it was one moment, it would probably be the opening night of, of the movie because of all the music correlations to it. And if it was an overall achievement, I think it would just be like Sumerian still going today. We haven't sold and we have all these flourishing artists and employees and everything else. Right. So, okay. Conversely then, how about one misstep that you encountered along the way that you learned from? The biggest misstep? I mean, not following my gut not not being willing to gamble enough. There were bands, there were a number of bands that I could have had if I just went harder in the paint when I was signing them. Um, and this just it happened again with a band that has like the number one rock song where I had it and I kind of second guessed myself on, on the expenses and 
So I would say the, the, the one misstep along the way I learned from that has been a repeating misstep was when I really think something can go, I got to stick to that, my, my first intuition, my first gut. Um, and this happened with Bring Me the Horizon on that first record. I, it was right there. I could have just gotten the offer to where it needed to be. And I think I, I, I probably could have closed it because um, they were doing my tours at the beginning and I was right there meeting with, I think it was Visible Noise, the people that were handling them. And then, you know, as of recently, like nothing more I was in on, you know, at the beginning and I just didn't go hard enough. And and then it just happened now with Bad Wolves. So I get these immediate intuitions. Like, I got to fucking do this. And then I start thinking about the business side and I get, you know, the business side, business affair people to go, well, you know, da, 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 da. And then I kind of like calm myself down. And look, sometimes that's the right decision, but I think a misstep that I've had is that I I lose the immediate intensity when I think a band or an idea or a project is really, really smart and I have to just like stay the course of, um, of my first intuition rather than um, losing track of that when I get bogged down by thinking about, you know, running a business and all the the non-creative sides of, of what we do. Sometimes you got to get back to the reflux ash and just when you had nothing, to, when you had nothing to lose and you didn't overthink shit and you just, you just had to go for it. hundred percent, man. And, and that's tough because sometimes that can backfire. Like I always say, nobody bats a thousand. If somebody's batting a thousand, they're not human. Everyone fucks up, but you can't, you can't focus on the time where like, Oh, you struck out when you was bases loaded, you got to focus on like, Oh, well I hit a double and I scored the winning run. It would have been cooler if it was a grand slam, but whatever we won and it was awesome. And I got on base one misstep I've counted along the way. It's a, it's a continual trip. I have walking down the fucking boulevard, which is I second guess my intuition and I start caring too much what other people may think, you know, in the public eye or behind the scenes. So yeah. yeah. Legit. What is the best piece of advice for someone who is working towards a career in the music business? The best piece of advice, um, figure out what part of the business you really want to do. I was fortunate enough to learn the booking agent grind, the promoter grind, the band dude grind, and then the record label. And I was doing a lot of those simultaneously. But I think the biggest thing is um, figuring out what you want to do. As you're figuring that out, it's great to go on the road. Fucking sell merch, be a roadie, any way you can actually get on a tour, especially like a a 500 cap venue van tour to really see how a lot of this stuff works on the ground up is the best like experience you can have. There's not a, there's no classroom you can learn like the inner workings of like how a tour goes. And that's another good way to get a taste of like, this is what the manager's doing. This is what the agent's doing. This is what the record label's doing. And then the other thing I'll say is ask questions and just try and get in the room with people that you can learn from. Um, we have a great intern program at Samarian and, and we've hired multiple interns from it. Like my current executive assistant was an intern. He's doing a great job. There's a couple other interns we're looking at to bring on on the digital side. Um, so just try and get in the room. The quicker you can figure out what you're passionate about and what you're best at, the quicker you can hopefully get like a real job that pays your bills. I would also take away from our conversation so far is like you were in a band first. You didn't rely 
on someone else to book the band for you. You took accountability and responsibility for yourself as a dude in a band that knows that you need to play shows. And you weren't like kicking rocks that no one wanted to book you or whatever. You're like, fuck it, man. This is my band. I want to play shows. You you figured out how to book the band. You, you, no one, you didn't go to school to be a booking agent. No one told you how to do it. There wasn't a YouTube tutorial on how to book your band at that point, right? Like you just figured it out and you did it because you knew that your band needed to play shows and tour. So you did it and you took that responsibility. And that's what you got to. F- pull away from this. This is if you're if you're in a band and you're listening to this, stop waiting around for someone to fucking do some shit for you, man. That's that honestly that's the best advice you can really give. Like I call it waiting around for the phone to ring. Like you can sit around and wait for the fucking phone to ring and someone to fucking discover you and da 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 da, da but you need to be out there doing it for yourself. Whatever it is you want to be doing. Like if you want to say, "Oh, I think I'd be great at, at if you want to be in a band, obviously you got to go out there and book your own shows. Nothing pisses me off more than bands who don't want to leave town or invest their own. Like if you're not willing to invest your own money into your band, why the fuck should I? Like you want to be signed to a label. It's like, well, are you going to go invest 500 bucks into gas and a fucking oil change and, you know, some equipment so you can actually go play someplace that's not your local bar? Or are you waiting for someone else to do that for you? There's, there's one word and it's a, it's a, it's, it's so important and, trying to make it in the music business as a band or really anything, tenacity. You have to have undying tenacity for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish and you have to keep going. And you can't, you can't like just give up if it doesn't go your way. And if you're in a band, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier, well, why does that band have this or why doesn't that or why isn't, why aren't we getting you know, bigger and better? It's like, you're trying to be a rock star. That's like the heart, like being a rock star and a movie star are pretty much the two hardest things you can do outside of, you know, I don't know, a fucking brain surgeon or, or an astronaut. <laughs> like, and, and those are just kind of like, if it's in your DNA, like, oh, you can do brain surgery or something. But like, you want to be a rock star. You're trying to do the hardest, most coveted thing in the world. So this whole culture of bands, why don't we have this? Or how come I'm not bigger? It's like, dude, you're trying to be a rock star. Like, come back down to earth. It's the hardest thing you can really do with like three other jobs. Like, so anyway, what is your unique strength? I think, and I, I don't want to sound like it's a superhero thing. I think my unique strength is, I have to say it in a combination. It's that I do have a good sense of intuition uh, on what is a good idea or a good song or a good move combined, because a lot of people have good intuition, but I guess my 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 unique strength is my intuition combined with my ability to convince people to do something. I'm good at getting inside the mind of an artist, a manager, agent, label, homeless guy on the street, whatever it is, to convince them my idea or intuition might be the right way to go. So I think that's, you know, more so than anything, that's probably my best strength. It's not getting up at six in the morning and fucking having everything buttoned up and I'm not that guy. There, I, I admire people that can pass out at 11 p.m. and wake up at six and have such structure and rhythm to their day. That's something I'm I'm genuinely always trying to improve upon. But I, I, as far as like unique strength, it's probably my ability to convince people to do something that I think is a good idea, and I do think it's a good idea because I have a good batting average with my intuition. So I guess that would be it. Yeah. Uh, what are you most fired up about right now? 
what I'm most fired up about right now is is kind of a combination of all of the the creative projects that are that are music centric, but that are beyond what I've done for so many years, which is produce tours and and put out albums and whatnot. And that's um, these different uh, episodic scripted and unscripted shows we're talking about for the relaunch of uh, Hit Parader as a you know digital media network. Um, the TV series is a spinoff of American Satan called Paradise City, which I think will be a great way for people to to fall in love with human characters as well as really learn the inner workings of this crazy business that is you know rock and roll. So I think it's just in general the concept of of doing all these things more that that go beyond a traditional record label because I think those are so important, especially now that MTV's gone and that rock and roll has taken such a backseat to EDM and pop and urban and hip hop that we really need other um, platforms and, and projects to get notoriety and cultural significance going with rock music in general. So yeah, I think it's kind of just taking that head first um, is yeah, just these, these different, you know, video centric projects to, uh, to get more awareness for, you know, rock culture and, and our artists and everything else. Yeah. The future of rock, you know, I, I, you know, what's interesting about you is like, you know, I'm like way older than you and I kind of grew up in an era that you wish that you grew up in, but you're so fascinated with. Right. And like, I get motivated when I'm around you and I see how excited you are about rock music, you know, cause you're like, fuck dude, I love these bands. And I just bought the, the Guns N' Roses box set. And like, you're just like, what's so inspirational about you is just how like into metal and rock music you are like, and you're just so passionate about it. And, you know, passion is something you can't fake, you know? And, and like, there's a lot of people that work in there in this business, right. In this genre, but they're not as passionate as you are, <laughs> you know. Thank you man, thank you. Yeah, I fucking I love it, dude. It gets me pumped. I, I always get pitched to go do other things, and you know, I always just come back to rock. It's just you know, it it feels natural. It's what I listen to the most, what gets me the most excited. And yeah, you know, I, I'm still fighting the fight. I think uh, I think you know, there's brighter days ahead. That's awesome. So, with that being said, what is your one prediction for the future? of the music business. Silicon Valley will will continue their stranglehold on the business itself. And the same way Netflix uh, has kind of taken over the biggest space um, for like premium content, I think that's what will happen with Spotify's and Apple Music's uh, of the world. Um, it's just going to become more and more about who's got reach and distribution and, you know, Spotify right now, right before our eyes is becoming MTV. They're becoming K rock. They're becoming Rolling Stone as well as the record store. I mean, the playlist, the, the email blast, they're just, you know, it's all, it's all, it's a digital world, man. And, and the majors, Sony universal and Warner who control whatever it is, 88%, is just they're they're letting the programmers and the techies just continue to dominate rather than the people on our side who are the ones that are actually signing the artists and making the music and putting up the initial investments to to break the bands we're just waiting around at the end of the line with our hands out and i think it's just going to get significantly worse and then we're going to look back on it 
and go, fuck, that was so dumb. None of us hired our own programmers. None of us got in it. We just were just, we were just at the whim of Silicon Valley. And I, I just think it's going to get significantly more lopsided. You know, you love music. You, even though you got out of booking and you, you put, you put down booking, but you picked up movie making, right? But still the through line here is that you own a record label. You're very active in the label, right? You're very active in the signings. Um, so what qualities do you look for in a new signing to the label? The most important thing right out of the gates is if they have at least a part of a song that I love. It doesn't have to be a full song front to back that's ready to go, but they have to have like some great riff or verse or chorus or bridge. They just have to have some part of a song that go, makes me go, wow, that's brilliant. And then from there, I dig in and go, okay, do they have enough musical writing talent on their own that I can get involved and help them? you know, really hone in on their craft and their band and their songs and their image and their message and why they should exist and everything else. But yeah, it's really, it's just having at least a piece of a song that makes me go, this is awesome. Nice. Uh, what would be a new level for you? I think a new level for me would be a full on, the same way I have a distribution deal through Warner ADA for my record label to get a deal for distribution, for video content that is at something of a significant level. And it's funny, as I go out there, like, you know, American Satan coming out on Showtime in the U.S. and Sky in the U.K. is, is a monumental moment for me and Sumerian and everything because Showtime is one of the greatest networks there is and has done so many brilliant series and movies and documentaries that I love. So that's a big moment specifically right now for this one film and this this one era of Sumerian. But overall, you know, it would be getting a partner like that, like, um, you know, Netflix and FX and HBO and Hulu and Amazon. And, you know, th they sign deals with creators and with talented executives and people that they believe know, like, what's going to be cool the same way they do it in music. And I think that component to, to grow rock and roll's footprint in 2018 is so important. Um, okay, so I saved my hardest question for last. Living or dead, who are the members of your ultimate supergroup? Okay, I, 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 I just started typing this before, but <laughs> I'm going to go quick here. And I do notice that I think I might be missing a bass player, but I have an idea for that. White, Stri White Stripes didn't have a bass player, so maybe your band just doesn't have a bass player. That's true. So I'm thinking of uh, putting together um, something that's going to have male and female, three, four-part harmonies, and a hybrid of stuff that I love that would hopefully be uh, awesome. So here we go. I got John Bonham on drums. I got Chris Cornell on guitar and vocals. I have Florence Welch for lead female vocal. I have Lindsay Buckingham on one guitar and singing vocals. I got Angus Young on the other guitar. And I have David Gahan uh, singing baritone vocals and Martin Gore doing keyboards. And I, for whatever reason, I didn't put anyone from Guns N' Roses in there, even though that's like Appetite's my favorite debut record, because I just feel like they work best with each other. True. That's uh, that's what I got. That, so that's it's, it's some mix. Massive. It's yeah. You, yeah, <laughs> it's a super group, but you know what? Like, I, I was, I've been listening to like 
Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young recently, just going down the rabbit hole of like cool songs um, to potentially, you know, reimagine. And the one thing I feel like that rock and roll is not doing that much right now is just like epic three and four part harmonies. So when I was putting together this super group, I was like, I need, I need like big four part harmonies that just sound larger than life because that was so commonplace like back in the day. And now, you know, I mean, I can't think of anyone on the active rock music charts that has some incredible, you know, bone chilling four part harmony. So, yeah, you know, you know, you know what we used to call that because this was, you know, long before you were born. So that was called AOR, which stood for adult oriented rock, right? And that was big guitar, big harmony, hard hitting rock, man. And you're right. We don't have anything like that right now. And, and if, if it's true that the trends in music are cyclical, then I'd be down. I'd, I, I'd, I'd be down with some AOR, some, some 2019 resurrected adult oriented rock. I'd be down with that. <laughs> I love that it. it's called AOR. I had no idea that was even a phrase. I'm going to use that. Yep, that's awesome. So, so if you're in a band out there and you're listening and you and you you want to get on Sumerian, send me some fucking modern era AOR. I want fucking four part harmonies <laughs> that are undeniable. And if and if you and if you don't have four guys in your band that can sing, fucking go online and start finding them and put together a demo because we're waiting for it. <laughs> nice. So Ash, dude, thanks for taking the time. This was super awesome. Uh, where can uh, these people find you on the social medias of the world? Can Is there a place where uh, bands can send uh, music to Sumerian records, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, the, best, the best way is to send your demo or links to your music to office at sumerianrecords.com. That goes to everyone that works there. So you have the best chance of somebody listening to it and, and hopefully liking it. And then, yeah, it's just my name on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram and all that. And yeah, AOR 2019, we're waiting. Do it. All right, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. A New Level Podcast is brought to you by Musicians Institute. Headphones provided by Monster Products. Editing and music by Blake Bunzel. Logo design by Mango Beard. I produced this show with my managemental co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry for Jabberjaw Media. Email me questions or comments at askblasco at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.
Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.